I'm so glad that I get a that I get to hang out with you again this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, would you please turn to Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, for our scripture today as we continue this great camp theme of follow. As we consider what it looks like to follow after God, to follow after Jesus. And while you're turning to Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, I'm once again going to open us up in prayer. Father, I pray that you would give me the ability to communicate your heart to this generation. And I pray that you would help me to talk to the young people in such a way as to make them feel like I was stalking them. I pray that they would feel like I knew exactly what they needed to hear. Now, obviously, Father, only Only you know what it is that each person needs to hear. But I pray that you would give me the ability to speak your word supernaturally in a way that would transmogrify and enhance and transform people's lives for the better. So please do all the talking today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can you guys give me a little more juice? I want to preach it up today. So give me a little more juice if you would. Actually, I was talking to the sound guys, but I like how you guys give a little emotional juice. That's good too. I think of that story of, um, of, of the sailor who was in a boat and it was a terrible storm, kind of like the one we looked at last night at Matthew 14. I mean, the wind was howling. The waves were tumultuous. The storm was wild and ferocious. And the captain on the ship, he's obviously getting scared because he's watching his boat sink. So he cries above the howling wind. He says, Which of you here know how to pray? Is there anybody here who knows how to pray? So one of the crew members, he steps forward and he says, I, captain, I know how to pray. The captain said, good. As he's looking around at his sinking ship, he says, good. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets because we're one life jacket short. Do you get it? It's a little joke. (laughs) He didn't ask him to pray that they would get saved from the storm. He's like, you pray because we're going to put on our life jackets. We're going to do the practical thing. You do the spiritual thing because you're the only one who's not getting a life jacket. And hopefully you're going to make it. Now that's kind of how we think about prayer. Sometimes when we talk about like the subject of prayer, we think that it's kind of impractical. We think, okay, I'd rather have a life jacket than prayer. I'd rather trust in people then trust in God. But the fact of the matter is the Bible puts such a premium on prayer that it essentially teaches that it can save us far more times than any life jacket ever could. I, I, one of my favorite verses in regards to prayer is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, when the prophet says that God can lift up islands as though they were a little thing. Isn't that a sweet verse? Like God can lift islands as though they were a little thing. Schwarzenegger, he can say, I curl iron. God says, I curl islands. That's how powerful he is. Jesus says, if you have a mustard seed of faith, you can move mountains through prayer. So today I want to talk to you about the power of prayer. Today you're going to have a talk session, a time alone with God session. So what is that all about? What does it mean to pray? What does it look like to follow the Lord through prayer? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11 is going to give us some insight into this. So if you would look down at your Bible and take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, Jesus gives one of the 
greatest teachings on prayer. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? Matthew 7 verse 9. Who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, everybody who prays wants to know to what kind of God are we praying? Like, what is God's personality like? In what atmosphere will our prayers be heard? Is God the kind of creator that we have to like coax and coerce him to bless us? Do we have to like squeeze blessings out of his hands? Is God the kind of God who makes a mockery of our feeble attempts at prayer? Jesus here teaches just the opposite. Write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. God is more ready to give than we are to ask. Let me say that again. God is more ready to give than we are to ask. Notice how Jesus doesn't say, Father, I wish you were more magnanimous. I wish you had a hand that was more eager to give. Father, please please have a more giving heart. That's not what Jesus is doing in this passage. As he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says to the people in Matthew 7, ask and you'll receive. The only thing that's missing is your asking. God is more ready to give than you are to ask. Now, now Jesus, being a Jew, would have grown up in a nation that loved prayer. Back in the day, in Jesus' generation, the religious authorities were called rabbis. The word rabbi means teacher. They were the Jewish teachers of the religious law. The rabbis taught great things about prayer. One of the sayings of the rabbis was this. A man is annoyed, they said, by being worried by the requests of his friends. But with God, all the time a man puts his needs and requests before him, God loves him all the more. In other words, if you come to me and ask me for like nine favors today, and I give you all of the things you're asking, if you come to me a tenth time and say, Ben, I have like the tenth favor of the day to ask you, I'm going to get really annoyed. Like the more you ask me for favors, the more I'm going to get annoyed as a human. That's how we humans are. God, the rabbis taught, is the opposite. The more we ask him for favor, the more we ask him for blessings, the more he loves it. He is more ready to give than we are to ask. So Jesus would have been brought up in a family and grown up in a nation that loved to pray. And in essence, Jesus in this passage is teaching us That if God's love knows no boundaries, then neither should our prayers. And if God's power knows no limits, then why should we limit him through our unbelief? Because you know the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the Israelites, when they were wandering through the wilderness, limited God through their unbelief. That's why they couldn't get into the land flowing with milk and honey for 40 years. Because they didn't believe that God wanted to bless them. And today, I want to tell you that God wants to bless you. God wants to give good gifts to you more than your dad or your mom wants to give you presents. 
And that's what Jesus essentially teaches here. If God's love knows no boundaries, then neither should our prayers. Now, when we talk about the subject of prayer, I mean, sometimes we get a little turned off by it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around Christians who use prayer in kind of the wrong way. I know I've used it in the wrong way. It's like we use prayer as an excuse to get out of the hard work. Like uh, you say these two phrases like, oh, I'll just pray about it, man. It's like you have to do something hard. You're like, oh, I'll just pray about it. You know, or I just trust God. Kind of like your dad says, would you please mow the lawn? You're like, dad, let me pray about that. You know, get us out of hard work. The worst is in relationships. When you talk to the girl you no longer like who you're dating and you're like, I prayed about it and I just don't think we're supposed to be together anymore. It's like, please don't say you prayed about it. You just made God the dumper, you coward. (laughs) You know, man up and say, I'm just not feeling it anymore or something. Hopefully a little nicer than that. But yeah, I prayed about it and I just don't think it's God's will for us to be together. It's like, oh man. That's why people don't want to pray. They're like, it's just so cowardly. It's just an excuse to get out of hard work. Kind of like that, that little kid, Johnny. He was misbehaving really badly one day. And he was just acting terribly. And um, his mom sent him to his room. She's like, you, you are acting so bad, Johnny. You got to go to your room and you got to think about what you've done. So sure enough, Johnny comes out of his room 20 minutes later. He's like, mom, I went to my room and I thought about it. And I prayed about it. And his mom said, oh, well, good, Johnny. If you prayed that God will help you stop misbehaving, then he will certainly help you stop misbehaving. Johnny said, oh, no, mom, I didn't pray that God would help me stop misbehaving. I prayed that God would help you to put up with me. You know what I mean? That that could be how prayer is. It's like, I want to get out of the, the stuff I know I need to do. So I'll just pray about it. But the fact of the matter is, even though we can sometimes use prayer as an excuse to get out of the hard work, the fact is, prayer is not an excuse to get out of work, but rather it empowers us for our work. It's not excusing us from, but empowering us for the God-given tasks that we have set before us. I think of what Frederick Douglass said, the escaped slave a long time ago. He said, I prayed for 20 years. And I didn't get any answer until I prayed with my legs. It's like, I'm a slave and I can pray that God will deliver me from slavery for 20 years, but it's not until I start praying with my legs and start running that I'm actually going to get free. One of my favorite sayings is given by my dad. He, He says, without God, you can't, but without you, he won't. Can I say that again? Without God, you can't, but without you, he won't. So it's not like prayer is saying, okay, God, you do all the work. It's God, without you, I can do nothing. But then God says, okay, without you, I won't. It's a, it's a, it's a team that God is looking for. It's been said that faith can move mountains, but don't be surprised if God hands you a shovel. You know what I mean? Faith can move mountains, but we also got to work. And so Jesus sees prayer as that which empowers us for the work and the God-given task that he has before us. But then he uses these three great analogies. They're so good. Jesus, when he teaches about the power of prayer, he says, he says which of you dads? It's like, which of you dads, if your son asked you for a loaf of bread, would give him a rock? Now, where I live, out in the boondocks. Did I say yesterday that we have to drive past cows to get to my church? I said that. I have Alzheimer's at 26, I'm telling you. But where I live, we have this awesome restaurant called Standing Stone. 
That's like the best bread ever. It's like melt in your mouth, pink paste over the bread, party in your taste buds. It's just awesome. So imagine if I said to my dad, hey, dad, can we go to Standing Stone? This, this amazing restaurant where I live. Dad, can we go to Standing Stone and uh, can we have some of the bread? Imagine if my dad said Standing Stone for bread. Like the only Standing Stone you're going to get is a stone to break your teeth on, son. Eat this rock. <laughs> Do you think my dad would ever say that? Jesus says, which of you parents, if your son, that's the analogy he uses, if your son asked for a, 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 a loaf of bread, would give him a rock. It's kind of funny analogy because where Jesus lived, the geography was such that um, on the seashore, there were little limestones that looked exactly like loaves of bread in that region. So hypothetically, a a dad could take a a, a limestone, the contour, shape, color of little loaves of bread, and he could give it to his son and trick him and have his son break his teeth on it if the son has a very low IQ like myself. Jesus says, no, dad's going to do that. And then the second analogy he uses is great. He says, which of you, if your son asks for a, uh, a fish, is going to give him a snake? Could you imagine? Hey, dad, can we have some seafood, please? And then your dad's like, the only seafood you're going to get is a sea serpent to bite you. I can't believe you just asked for something good. One scholar points out that the word for, for snake here is almost certainly referring to the eel. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 12, which describes the Jewish dietary food laws, it says that the Jewish people were forbidden to eat any seafood, any creature in the sea that didn't have scales or fins, meaning that an eel was part of the forbidden food groups among the Jewish peoples. So imagine if it sounds like, Dad, could I have a fish? Could I have some seafood? And the dad gives him an eel. This would be like, you just tricked me. The Bible says I'm not allowed to eat that as a Jew. It doesn't have skins or fails. Fails. Skin or fails. Uh, what, what, did I, what did I just say? Scales or fins. Some would be like, you just tricked me, dad. <laughs> gotcha, son. No dad's going to do that. But actually, Jesus uses a third analogy. That's the best of all three, I think. It's not actually in this text. It's in Luke chapter 11, verse 12. Do you remember the third analogy Jesus uses in the Gospels? He says, which of you dads, if your son asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Like, why did he use that analogy? Eggs and scorpions are nothing alike. Actually, you may be surprised how alike eggs and scorpions really are. You know what a scorpion is, right? It it, it waddles around on its legs and clutches its victims with its claws. Kind of like a lobster. And when a scorpion's about to sting somebody, it'll bring its stinger over its back and it'll, you know, just jab at people. And, and if you get stung by a scorpion, it's exceedingly painful from what I read. And it's also um, sometimes lethal. You can die from scorpion attacks. Now, when a scorpion is at rest, what it'll do is it'll fold up its claws and it'll fold up its tails and tail and it'll roll up into a little ball, kind of like the droidecas from Star Wars, if you're following me. So they would roll up into little balls, right? So, so they, so they look, um, they look like, you know, little baseballs. There's actually a pale kind of scorpion that looks exactly like an egg when it's at rest. So imagine if a dad's like, you want an Easter egg, son? Here you go. And suddenly (laughs) stings the son and clutches with its claws. Jesus says, no dad is going to do that. No dad is going to give a scorpion if his son asks for an egg. That'd be the worst Easter egg present ever. What is Jesus saying? 
He's saying that if you parents, you fathers who are evil in comparison to God want to give good gifts, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit in good presence to those who ask? And yet sometimes I and we Christians talk in such a way as to believe that the last thing we want is the first thing God wants to give us. Like sometimes I hear people saying, oh, the last thing I want is to be a missionary in Zimbabwe. So that's probably exactly where God's going to send me. Have you ever heard people talk like that? Like the last thing I want to do is go into the ministry. So God's probably going to make me a pastor. The last thing I want to do is be a caretaker. So God's going to surely make me work at a funeral home because he's into sacrifice. Don't get me wrong. God is into sacrifice. But sometimes, although our God is passionate about our sacrifice, we make it sound like the last thing we want is the first thing he wants to give us. Jesus teaches that if you earthly parents want to bless your kids, how much more will the heavenly father want to bless you? Now, if you're coming from a Greek background and you're hearing Jesus speaking this, you're going to be very encouraged. How many of you have heard of Greek mythology? Do you guys learn about that at your schools? Well, in Greek mythology, do you know who the king of the gods was? Zeus, right? Zeus was the king of the gods. And the Greeks actually had a story about how Zeus answered prayer. One time, uh, Zeus said to a woman named Aurora, he said, Aurora, I will give you anything you want. Now, Aurora, in Greek mythology, was the goddess of the dawn. You've got to remember, this is like the religion of the Greeks back in Jesus' time. Aurora was the goddess of the dawn, and she comes to Zeus and has a prayer request. And Zeus says, anything you want, I'll give it to you. And Aurora says, Zeus, I'm a goddess, and I'm going to live forever. But I've fallen in love with a human, and that human's name is Tythonus. And my prayer request is that Tythonus would live forever because it would stink if I live forever and he dies in 80 years and then I have to live grieving for the rest of eternity. So she said, please give Tythonus everlasting life. So Zeus said, okay, Aurora, I'll answer your prayer and I'll give Tythonus everlasting life. Well, sure enough, Tythonus got everlasting life in the story, but she forgot to ask that he would have everlasting youth. How terrible would that be? He just kept getting older and older and older and couldn't die. That'd be horrible. Just more cadaverous and more skeletal and more skinny and you're living for a million years and, and you can't die. So finally, Tythonus is like, Aurora, please free me from this terrible existence. And Aurora's like, okay, well, you're going to live forever, so I got to find something else. I'll turn you into a grasshopper. And now we hear grasshoppers chirping ceaselessly every night because Tythonus lives forever through them. That's the Greek story of how God's answer prayer. So if you're coming from a Greek background and you're believing that this is how Zeus answers prayer, that he's like, I just tricked you. I gave him everlasting life, but not everlasting youth. So the gift was a curse. Jesus says, the father isn't like that. First John four, verse eight and 16 teaches that God is love. He's like, I, I want, I want to give good gifts to you. So as we draw to a close, you might say, well, Ben, I have prayed. I have followed after the Lord and I have really sought him for, for many things that are on my heart, but I haven't yet received an answer to what I'm asking for. I haven't yet got the open door, even though I'm knocking, I'm seeking, but I haven't found what I'm looking for. If God really wants to give good gifts to his children, why hasn't he answered my prayer? Check this out. When Jesus says in verse seven, ask, knock, and seek in the Greek language, 
That's what the New Testament was written in. It's written in the present imperative, which is just fancy language to mean that this text can literally be translated, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. So in the language, Jesus isn't just saying a one-time ask. It's literally keep on asking. Not just knock one time, but keep on knocking. Not just search one time if you feel it, but keep on searching. Jesus is after persistence in prayer. Kind of like that persistent widow. You remember Jesus told the story about her? This widow comes to the judge and the judge was terrible. He was dealing out dirty justice and doing deals under the table. And the woman, the widow, she comes to the judge and she's like, judge, please give me justice. And the judge is like, no, I don't care about you and I don't fear God. So the widow comes back the next day. She's like, judge, please give me justice. The judge is like, I don't care about people and I don't fear God. So no. But she kept on asking him to deal out justice until finally justice was served because the judge said, you're just so annoying. You keep on asking. So because you keep on asking me, I'll give you what you ask for. So you get out of my hair. That's what the judge said. And Jesus said in telling that parable, will the son of man find that faith on the earth? Like the persistent widow, the person who will keep asking. You say, why does God want me to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking? Sometimes for many years, why does he want me to have persistence in prayer? Because the Lord is trying to work in us, especially in our generation, perseverance. We live in a generation where we live better than kings and we get everything we want so fast. Like in our day, we don't have to be Katniss and go hunt for food. All we have to do is go through the Taco Bell drive-thru. And when we go through the Taco Bell drive-thru, that's not, fast food isn't fast enough. We want to not even get out of our car. So we drive right up to the window and they give us our six Doritos Locos tacos. I have bad experiences, by the way, when I go to Taco Bell. I'm like, can I please have five bean and cheese burritos? And they're like, okay, five bean and cheese burritos. Is there anything else you would like, ma'am? Did you just say that? Gender neutral, please, if you don't know. (laughs) My dad has the deep voice and the muscles. I'm like really skinny, scrawny, 2.0 GPA, and I have a really high voice that gets mistaken for girls. I'm like, I hope you just said man and not ma'am. But anyway, we get everything we want so fast. Quick Doritos Locos tacos. And then if if they get cold by by the time we get home, we don't have to build a fire. Oh, no. In our generation, we don't even have to put it in the oven. The oven takes too long. So what do we do? We just put it in the microwave and nuke it. And in 30 seconds, it's all warmed up. So we take our quickly nuked, you know, um, uh, Doritos Locos tacos. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I, I, didn't, I didn't get in contact with my mom. And instead of writing snail mail like a letter, we just pull out our cell phone and we text our mother. Really quick, quick messages because we want to get to her right away. And then we decide, okay, while I'm eating and texting, I want to I wanna watch TV. But now in our generation, we don't have to wait for commercials anymore. We just get Netflix on demand. So we get to watch shows on demand right when I want them. No more commercials, no more waiting. So we live in a generation where we get everything so fast, which is awesome on one hand. But on the other hand, our generation has to learn persistence and perseverance where we wait on God 106 times in the Bible. It says we have to wait on God. God wants us to persevere. He wants to develop our character. He wants us to learn persistence. Keep asking and don't stop till you get what you're asking for. It's kind of like this. A few months ago, I was, at, I was at Camp Bradley, which is a retreat center that our church has on the coast in Oregon. I walk into the gym. I have my man purse on. I see my buddies playing basketball, Mitch and Scott. They're shooting around. 
And they see me walk by and they're like, hey, Ben, take a shot. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I haven't shot a basketball in ages. And even when I did practice, it was a terrible experience. So what am I going to do? Well, I just decided to take a risk. I put my man purse down. I said, okay, give me the rock, right? So first time in a few months, I, I shoot the ball. No joke, I missed by like five feet. It was horrible. So I'm like, okay, give me the ball again. I shoot again, I hit nothing but backboard. Like, okay, give me the ball again. Shoot a third time, hit nothing but net. I mean, nothing but the net. I didn't even hit the rim. <laughs> Terrible. Miss again. I'm like, okay, keep giving me the ball. After a bunch of times missing, I finally said this. I said, I'm not going to stop until I make it. Do you ever say that when you're doing sports? Like, I don't, if I have to stand here for hours until I make one, I'm not going to live with myself until I make one. It was like a 15-foot jump shot. It was just such an easy shot, and I couldn't make it. Do you do that when you play ping pong? You're like, we're going to get 50 in a row, and we're not going to eat lunch until we get 50 in a row without dropping the ball. That's what I do for some reason in sports. I'm like, I'm not going to stop until I make it. You know what? It took me like 28 tries. But when I finally made it, I'm like, oh, I feel so good that I didn't stop until I made it. It's just a sense of satisfaction. No matter how terrible I am, at least I made one. I'm not going to stop until I make it. That's what we got to say in life. I'm not going to stop until I make it one day. Until I get the prayer that I'm asking for. God, I'm not going to stop till I make it. In our generation, it's like, oh, if I don't get it right away, I'm done. We got to say, I'm not going to stop until I make it to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not going to stop till I get love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the spirit. I'm not going to stop until I get what I'm asking for, receive what I'm seeking you for, and find open doors to those I'm knocking on. I'm not going to stop until I make it. Or until you change my heart's desire, Lord, I want persistence. I want perseverance. And my heart for us is that we would have character developed in our prayers, that we would believe that God is more ready to give than we are to ask, that we would persevere by looking to the strong for strength. And when we can't sleep because we're so stressed, instead of counting sheep, let's start talking to the shepherd baby because he's going to be up all night anyway. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. So let's keep asking, keep knocking, and keep seeking for God's glory, others' gladness, and our own good. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to be... We want to be persistent widows in the analogy. We want to be the people who keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Help us not to stop until we make it. Help us not to stop until we get the power of the Holy Spirit that we're asking for. Until we get the desires that you've pressed so firmly on our hearts. I pray that even though we, we live in a day where we get things so quick, I pray that when it comes to prayer, we would obey the 106 commandments to wait on the Lord. And I pray that, that in a day where we do live better than queens and royalty, I pray that we would also have character developed in the deepest recesses of our being. And I pray that we would be a generation that is passionate about prayer. Lord, I, I just think of when a, when a guy and a girl are dating and they really like each other and, and the guy says, you hang up first. And the girl says, no, you hang up first. 
And the guy says, no, you hang up first. And they never quite hang up their phone. I pray that we would be that way, that we would just never hang up the phone, that we would pray without ceasing, that we would talk to you throughout the day, that we would have you on our spiritual line, that we would never give up communicating with you, believing that you are more eager to bless us than we are to request those blessings from your hand. In Jesus' name, help us to be a praying generation. And we pray this all in your holy and awesome name. Amen. Amen.